0: Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the holy spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to div- to divorce her quietly. You see, I think for Joseph nothing could have been further from the life he was expecting. Nothing could have been further from the life he was supposed to have as a righteous man and as a good man. He honored God's law. He did what he had been told. He was doing the right things and engaged to be married to this woman who's suddenly pregnant who says, don't worry, God did it, which is believed by every man everywhere, always. And Joseph, being a just man, seeks to divorce her quietly. You see, I think in Joseph's waiting in his searching, in his desire to praise and honor God. There had never been a time prior to this where Joseph imagined the way he would honor God is by his future wife getting pregnant, not by him. I can't imagine Joseph ever looked at what his future would look like and said, someday I'm going to have a wife and a child who's
1: not mine. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknocks.com or connect with us on Facebook. Instagram or Twitter at the Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Once again, good evening.
0: It is good to be here with you. Thank you for braving the cold. I see some of you were smart enough to bring blankets. I'm glad you're here in spite of the cold. There is a question that for most of history has driven all societies. It doesn't matter which culture you're in, what part of the world you're in, almost every people group for all of time has asked this question, who is God? Now in the last couple hundred years, things have actually changed. Especially here in the West and in America, we've shifted a question that for most of history, that the world asked with no doubt, we've changed it. Instead of who is God to is there God? You see, for most of history, thousands of years, in fact, every culture in every place looked at the world around them and said there must be God. God. It doesn't take too far to look to see something must make sense. You, you look at the mountains and see their splendor. You watch the sunrise or the sunset, and you're filled with awe and wonder. You see rain come and water the crops and food on your table. You see all the things that happen for you to live. And for most of history, the question was not, is there God, but who is God. It was obvious looking at nature that God exists. It was obvious looking at all the ways that we are made and all the things that happen in us, that there must be God. But who is he? And this quest for knowing who God is led many people across most cultures to do all kinds of crazy things. In seeking God, they would often seek to have the right God or gods plural there are many cultures that have multiple gods and not just the right gods they would seek to interact with these gods in whatever way pleases and honors and praises them most and throughout history the way in which we have praised and honored God or gods plural has been quite diverse There have been people who have practiced praise and honor with song and voice, singing aloud to him, with dancing. There have been people who have practiced with sacrificing, with all sorts of different things. But they all sought to bring glory and honor to God in some way. Now, if you look at the heavens, at the stars in the sky, not so much on a cloudy night or when you're in the city and there's all the, the light pollution, but if you get out into the middle of nowhere and you look up into the stars and the heavens, it's easy to believe that God is infinitely bigger than you and me. In fact, I think it's human nature that as we ask this question, who is God, for most of us, part of what drives the answer is we're looking for a bigger and better God than all the others. We're looking for a God who can fit with all the beauty of the heavens and all the magnitude of the mountains and the forests and the rivers and the streams, a God who can calm the chaos of the ocean and the storms around us. We're looking for a God who is bigger and better and more powerful than all the others. Now, you and I are here tonight because we believe there's one God who does this. But for a lot of history, there's a lot of uncertainty. We know God exists and who is this God? And so the solution was, let's build bigger buildings and more grandiose temples and spectacular places where we can come and we can gather. And as we come and gather, we can worship and praise with whatever that looks like. And in our worship and our praise and the acts and the things we do to sacrifice, perhaps this God will look upon us and be pleased. And so, throughout every culture, all across the world, you see, in an attempt to connect with the God who is, all sorts of places being built, filled with all kinds of splendor, all kinds of majesty. And yet, every one of these places falls short. In fact, in our natural inclination looking for who is God, not only have we built spectacular buildings, we as people trying to praise and honor this God have fought to defend this God. All sorts of wars throughout all of history have been fought in the name of honoring and glorifying God. Let's go and kill those who don't believe in this God. I began tonight with Psalm 96. The psalmist here writes this song for the whole congregation, for all the people of God to sing. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Now, just as a brief aside, I don't know how many of you have heard me sing, it's not always very pleasant. In fact, often, I'll miss a note or most of the notes, and I won't quite sound right, but you know what? You can sing anyway. For most of history, song has actually been the way in which people have communicated important things. You see, we have the advantage of having a book right here that we can learn to read and study and spend time in, but for most of history, where people were illiterate or did not have books available they would learn important things through song. And by singing on repeat, they would learn what matters most. This works even with kindergartners today. In fact, we have all kinds of songs to teach kindergartners how they should act and where they should sit and where they should put their hands when they're sitting and who they should not hit when they're sitting and all kinds of songs we teach our kids about the ABCs and one, two, threes and everything else. Song helps us remember what matters most. This psalmist, he says, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. See, with our voices, we can sing not only to make a joyful noise, not always a beautiful noise, but we can sing to remember what matters most, his salvation, day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary." Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. See, the psalmist, he's describing the act of coming before God in a way that I think most of us can relate to. Surely God is something or someone bigger than me and and greater than me, and he is truly greatly to be praised. But sometimes, in fact I think often, God doesn't make his greatness known. And And throughout most of history as we've asked this question, who is God? I think one of the ways that we have so often gone awry is in answering who is God, we have thought God is who I want him to be. Or God is not who I want him to be, but he is truly great and powerful. And how do we know that he's great and powerful? He gives to me that same greatness and power. Often it's in the grandiose things that we expect to find God. But tonight as we gather this Christmas Eve, We are invited to come and see a God worthy of all of our praise. To come and see a God who made the heavens, who sits enthroned above the earth, a God who truly is more powerful and more beautiful and more lovely and more wonderful than any other. And yet a God who is completely unlike any other. See, our God is not just a God who sits enthroned on high but he's so much more. Here in Matthew, we read of the the birth of Jesus. For 400 years, the people of Israel waited. They longed to see God come and to rescue them. They sang of his salvation day after day, all the while they were in captivity or under the oppression of another government. They sang of his salvation, and yet their livelihood was lacking. For 400 years, they waited and waited and waited. Where are you, God? And into this place, not of grandiose beginnings, not of power and might, not of God who rules over heaven's coming with a mighty arm to rescue his people. No, in this silent, lonely place of waiting, God comes, but not at all how they expected. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to, div- to divorce her quietly. You see, I think for Joseph... Nothing could have been further from the life he was expecting. Nothing could have been further from the life he was supposed to have as a righteous man and as a good man. He honored God's law. He did what he had been told. He was doing the right things and engaged to be married to this woman who's suddenly pregnant, who says, don't worry, God did it, which is believed by every man everywhere, always. And Joseph, being a just man, seeks to divorce her quietly. You see, I think in Joseph's waiting, in his searching, in his desire to praise and honor God, there had never been a time prior to this where Joseph imagined the way he would honor God is by his future wife getting pregnant, not by him. I can't imagine Joseph ever looked at what his future would look like and said, someday, I'm going to have a wife and a child who's not mine. A child who I will raise and love and care for, even though I'm not actually his dad. See, for those who were righteous and who were just, there was a certain way that life was supposed to go. A picture of what the good life looks like. And I don't think for Joseph, the good life included his virgin uh, fiancé getting pregnant. For many of us, we look for God in the grandiose. We want to sing of his praises. We ask the question, who is God? But where we fall short is the God we meet does not meet our expectations. We find our relationships failing and saying, God, where are you? We find our family falling apart and say, clearly, you're not here, God. We find the life that we've created falling apart, not by anything we have done, but by other people's actions against us, by the hurt they cause that is unjust. And we say, God, if you are real, and if you are greatly to be praised, how do I sing of your salvation when everything falls apart? How do I sing of your greatness when life isn't great? Joseph resolved quietly to divorce her. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I imagine as Joseph, year in and year out, went to the temple, the place where he was supposed to meet God, the place where God was promised to be with his people, the place where they were there to praise and worship and give God all glory. I imagine as Joseph did this year after year, he never imagined an angel showing up to him in the midst of the most confusing and chaotic time of his life and declaring this promise, your son will save all people from their sins. I remember finding out when we were pregnant with our firstborn, just the overwhelming joy and excitement and terrible fear. If you don't have kids, maybe you'll one day know that fear. There's this great fear within me. What if I'm not a good enough dad? What if my son does something really terrible? What if he goes astray and and it's all my fault? What if? Now Joseph's here in a situation he never imagined being in. And I certainly imagine he was left with all kinds of questions. God, if you are who you say you are, now what? God, if you are who I've believed you to be, this great and powerful God, now what? And This angel shows up and says, Your wife is pregnant, conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Joseph had lived a life unto now. Mary also had lived a life unto now of praising God. But always picturing God to be a God found in a temple or in the rules of his law or in the majesty of heavens or in the mountains they could look out at. But instead this God they get to praise is a child, a baby, One prone to poop on his own where he shouldn't. One prone to spit up when he eats. One prone to cry in the night. This God to be praised comes to us in the most unexpected of ways. He doesn't come to be with us in his power and his might, with a mighty arm to rule the nations, to sit and show off how great he is. He comes to us in meekness in humility, in places that otherwise could be of shame and regret and confusion. He comes to us in brokenness, a family that doesn't fit the picture, a family that in fact could be shunned for their very family and their existence. God comes not in his splendor, in his majesty, enthroned on high, but in an ordinary everyday broken family and it's in this that he is glorified most of you have probably heard the christmas story hundreds of times but i find for myself no matter how often i hear it it's still really really hard to believe It's really difficult to believe that a God who created the heavens and the earth, who sits on high, would make himself a lowly baby, would take on flesh to experience all of our pain, would step into the ordinary and the broken and the mess that you and I call every day life, so that in that we could find healing that in our mess and our brokenness, when life is not as it should be, when things are confusing, we're filled with all kinds of questions. Where are you, God? And who are you, God? And are you even there, God? When we're filled with all of these questions, we don't need to look to things going great and everything working out the way we'd hoped. We can look to a humble and lowly child knowing that God would come to be with us always. And this child who was God, who is God, would save us from all of our sins. All of them. So this Christmas Eve, whatever mess you're living in, whatever hurt you've carried, as you question where are you, God, don't look to the good and the wonderful, the mountaintop moments. Look to the low and the humble place, the place of brokenness and pain and confusion, a child who would be born completely dependent upon Mary and Joseph, his mother and stepfather, that in this little baby, you and I can have hope. To meet God wherever we are, whenever we're struggling. We don't have to go to grandiose buildings or mountaintops or experience his mighty arm of power moving. We can simply sit and sing of his salvation day and night. Even as right now, we don't always see it or feel it or believe it. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you sent your son, not in great power, not in great might. You didn't come to declare with loud trumpets that you are king. God, you came as a baby, meek and lowly, into a broken family filled with questions and confusion, filled with all kinds of uncertainty. You came and you bore our sins. You took on flesh to be not only with us, but one of us. That as we ask the question, who is God? We might see you are truly not the one who demands sacrifice or war. Not the one who demands we get it all right and live according to your standard. But you are truly God who's with us. Who has given everything up. Your throne you stepped away from. Who gave all things to be with us, for us, always? Teach us to believe and to trust and to find our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This God who comes to us, not in his power when everything goes according to plan. This God who comes to us in his meekness, in humility, laying his life down before us, came that we might have hope, that we might have peace when life is filled with trouble and confusion, that we might know joy deep within us, that we might be loved always, no matter where we've been or where we are or where we're headed. Every week of Advent we have been lighting a new candle. And today as we celebrate that Christ has come, that the light of the world is here to fill us with everything we need, not in grandiose power and might, but in something very small and meek. As we celebrate that this light has come, we light tonight this final candle to remind us that Christ's light is here because his light is here God is here with us and for this we sing of his praises and declare of his splendor and all of his glory here in a moment we're going to do one of my favorite traditions of the church we're going to take this candle and light the candles that you were given when you came in If, if you did not get one and would like one Shane where you at Shane's over here. Shane's got some extra candles. Shane will give you a candle still if you need one so you can join us in this practice. See, here in a moment, I'm gonna bring this candle around and walk down the aisle, and from this candle, you'll light your candle. Because this God who came to be with us dwells within us through his Holy Spirit, and his light within us shines into this dark and broken world. His light within us shines that when others are lost and are hurting and confused and don't understand where God is or where he could be, we can show them the way. Here he is and a baby, lowly and humble for you and me. And so as we light these candles, we will see that it is his light that will fill not only this place, but all of our hearts. A couple of quick tips. If you have children, it might be worth helping them light their candles so they don't burn themselves. Also, what I'm going to do as I walk down the aisle with this candle is I'm going to walk down and have those of you on the end um, put your candle into it to light your candle and then hold it upright and pass it towards the person next to you and have them take their candle horizontal. Don't tip your burning candle. You'll drip hot wax on yourself, okay? Um, But Just light your candle with the lights next to you. And then as the whole room fills with his light, we will sing Silent Night, remembering this night in which our Savior was born. As you go this Christmas Eve, whether you're going home to eat and drink and be merry or you're going home in the cold hoping that you have heat and are warm, whatever tomorrow may bring, may you go with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. As you go and you put out your candles, just a word of advice. If you will carefully blow them out uh, first and let them cool for just a moment. We do have some buckets, a plastic one over here, a metal one over there. We'll see which one catches on fire. If you'll just let the wax cool for a moment before you put your candles back in there, I'd appreciate that. Thank you, and Merry Christmas.
1: Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting the Point Ministry, simply go to thepointnoxcom forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.